0: And I was here a long time ago And um, good to be back with you today And enjoyed the service this morning Upstairs and visiting with some friends there And look forward to spending some time with you as well What an exciting time it is to come together for worship And I'm glad you're here to be a part of this And it's nice to be able to come back into a building To do that Um, I know virtual is fantastic But there's some things that are missing at that And so just to be back and be able to see people That's great, isn't it? Our church, the one I'm serving now Uh, does uh, drive-in church. We did it one week because everybody else was doing it. We thought we'd give that a try. Um, They loved it. They loved it. I thought we would do it for a week or two, and they would say, this is ridiculous. It's hot out here and whatever. Not at all. They think it's wonderful. They caught on to the fact that you can come dressed in your pajamas, bring your breakfast with you, have a cup of coffee, bring a crossword puzzle book. And, you know, the whole time I'm preaching away, and they're nodding every now and then. I know they're really doing other things, but they get away with it because they can't call their bluff on it. So we're going to do drive-in church until they just get so cold they're frozen, and then maybe they'll be willing to do something else. We also have come-in church, walk-in church, just like this. they're a little half-hearted in supporting that one so right now we're primarily a drive-in and a virtual church but i'm glad you guys are here to be a part of this one thing we learn about church during all of this covid mess we learn what's really important so this is an exciting time in the life of church capital c church this is a great time for church because we begin to discover what's really important to us and the peripherals are fine if they're there but but we don't depend on those you know as a matter of fact those things kind of go away We find the basics. We find what we're rooted in. We find what our identity is, and that's what I want us to look at this morning. And so we're going to the book of Ephesians. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, the first three chapters of what he writes talks to them about their identity in Christ. And then 4 through 6, he talks about how that plays itself out in their lives and the actions and things they do. I want us to look at the first three chapters in particular this morning just because I want to talk about the idea of your identity. Now, Gaten has an identity as well. And I know that this is a volatile time in the life of the church because you get to make some choices that determine the future direction of the church. But I'm going to send this message to you. Everything I say to you today can be extrapolated to the idea of church, the bigger picture. When I'm talking to you about your personal identity and your roots, I'm also talking about Gayton's identity and Gayton's roots. So be very careful to be able to translate those, if you would. Extrapolate that. Into church life I won't be doing it for you this morning Because today I just want to talk about you Listen to Paul. what Paul writes to this church I pray that you Being rooted and established in love May have proven together with all the saints To grasp how wide, how long, how high And how deep is the love of Christ Interesting words I pray that you would be rooted and established You know what a taproot is, right? So the taproot is the vertical root, the primary root that goes down directly and usually goes straight down. And then there are horizontal roots, peripheral roots that head off um, to to the sides. And those are nice and they're wonderful to have. But the life of the plant is highly dependent on the taproot, the one that goes straight down. And it grabs all the moisture and grabs all the nutrients to keep the plant afloat. The best example of a taproot I can think of is a carrot. Ever thought about that? All the carrot is is just a Taproot, it goes down, and it's very efficient in the way it collects moisture and in the way it collects all these these nutrients. And so we go in and take the carrot, rob the plant that's supposed to be supported by that carrot, and we, we take advantage of all of the moisture and all of the nutrients. A white oak tree has a very strong taproot that goes straight down, and that's the one thing that keeps this tree stable when the winds blow, the storms come, When the drought comes, this taproot has gone straight down looking for moisture, looking for water, looking for nutrients to keep the plant afloat. This scripture says, hey, you be careful where you send your taproot. There are all kinds of things that are calling for your attention, saying, hey, you're nobody unless you happen to be rooted here. Look for this. But those are way off to the side, and those shallow roots may feel good today, but they're not going to be the things that keep you afloat when the winds come, when the drought strikes. And every single life has droughts and storms. You may be in the middle of one even today. It happens. Where are you rooted? Where are you grounded? And so we look at this notion of taproot because it defines who we are. Look at that one. You are defined by your taproot. Have you given thought to where your taproot goes? So I want to talk to you about your identity. If you are defined by your taproot, look at where you send your roots. So Paul writes to this little church in Ephesus. And Ephesus is an amazing city, second largest city in the world, quarter of a million people. It is the home of a lot of amazing art, the home of the highest of cultures because Alexander the Great wanted to make sure that everyone knew the power of the Greek culture and later the Roman culture. But all of this Greek strength And pride is put into Ephesus as a jewel city. And so he builds this 25,000-seat amphitheater. Can you imagine going to a play? 25,000 friends there, no sound system or anything, but you're seeing the greatest actors and actresses in the world performing on this massive stage. But while you're enjoying the play, you can also look in the distance and you can see the gymnasium where all of the athletes, where all of the Olympians, train. It's a high part of culture. You can look at the arts. You can look at the museums. You can look at the schools, the universities, the libraries, all of those wonderful things you can see that just show the pride of culture. You can see the agora, which is a marketplace the size of two football fields put side by side. Everything that humanity sells can be bought in the agora, including other human beings. And there from that amphitheater, you can also see the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world, a massive worship structure. People come from all over the globe just to see it, all of its splendor. And all of that is the place where this little church starts. And Paul comes to this church and says, guys, don't be pulled aside thinking that you can be rooted in anything that has to do with the circus that is Ephesus. Please, don't be lured in by this notion of affluence and power. Don't be caught by that. You need to know where your roots go. And yes, you may not fit into it, but you need to know this, Ephesus. The world depends on you. Ephesus depends on you. You may think you're the outsider. The truth is you are the hope for Ephesus. And I'm telling you, you, Gaten, are the hope for a world, in particular this little section of it, You are the hope. They need you. God has called you. Watch your identity. Watch where you put your roots. So affluence and power comes into play here. Did you know that in our culture, here are some statistics, $183 billion a year are spent on advertising. In television and online. 183 billion dollars of marketers who are saying to you, you need to be grounded in our product because your identity, it comes based on whether or not you use our product. Because if you want to be a and if you want to have power, you need to know you need to be one of us. You need to be grounded here. 183 billion dollars they sink into convincing you of that and unfortunately They are very successful. There's one car company that even uses the word envy. You need to be the envy of all your neighbors. When you drive down the street, you want them to wish they were you. That's the affluence and power route. This is where you need to be. $331 billion we spend on clothes. $331 billion is more than the gross national product of Israel or Costa Rica or many other countries around the world. Yes, but it says who you are. It tells us who you are. It's so important. This is what you need to look like. Get this. We spend $310 million a year on costumes for our pets for Halloween. I just think that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But I will tell you that our 100-pound Rottweiler made a really good SpongeBob SquarePants last year, just in case. Can hardly wait to see what, uh, what she comes up with this year. Really we spend that and all of it has to do with this affluence and power and material things that come along the way. It's amazing what we do. The other day I went to buy a pair of jeans. Now when I was growing up all of my clothes were ordered out of the Sears catalog and the Spiegel catalog. You may not be familiar with that one, but it's really important. I don't know why we ordered out of the Sears catalog. There was a Sears store in town, just the town that I lived in. But nonetheless, everything came out of the catalog except for blue jeans. When it came time for blue jeans, and I got a pair every year, whether I needed them or not. When it came time for blue jeans, we would go to Mr. Shirley's dry goods store. And my mom would go in and say, I want this size. And Mr. Shirley would say, okay. And he would turn around and take it off the ship, plop it down on the counter. My mom would pay for it. We'd go home and I would put it on. It'd be a little bit big. But but then she'd make a cuff, and the cuff was about that tall. You ever seen this? In, in the shows in the 50s and the 60s, a cuff like that, and I would question her about it, and every time she would say, You'll grow into it. I'd have to be seven foot six by the time I was seven in order to be able to get into that thing. But nonetheless, that's the way we got blue jeans. So I decided this time around, you know, things would be different. And now I'm a grown up, and not only am I a grown up, I'm sophisticated, you know. So at this time I'm gonna buy blue jeans, and I'm not gonna buy them from a store that also sells groceries and tires. So I go into a store that I'd identified, and I walked in, and the first thing I see in there is a young girl. My guess was she was about 12 years of age or so. I assume she was there getting back to school clothes with her mom. Come to find out I was wrong. The girl actually worked there, and not only worked there, but she worked in the men's department. So she sashays over to me and starts to speak. She sounds like a Smurf when she, when she talks. Hi, so good to see you. Good morning. What are we shopping for this morning? Well, I don't feel comfortable speaking for you, Barbie. But for me, I'm shopping for blue jeans. What kind of jeans would you like? Blue. That's the reason I said blue jeans. Yes, but I mean, ha. ha, ha. And when she laughed and she'd giggle, her voice got higher and it got louder. You could listen, hear the dogs in the distance howling. <laughs> yeah. No, silly. No. Do you want them on the waist? Do you want them on the hips? Do you want them boot cut, straight cut? Do you want them flared? Do you want slim? Do you want skinny jeans? Do you want relaxed? Whoa, relaxed. I like that. Relaxed sounds good. What's that? Well, they're a little fuller in the thighs right here, and they're a little fuller in the bottom. You might want to consider that. <laughs> Relax. We'll go with relaxed. I like that one. That's fine. Did you want those stone washed? Well, I don't know about stones, but I like the idea of them washed. Clean is good. <laughs> clean is good. So let's go with clean. That sounds great. Uh, okay. So one last question. Um, do you want those frayed or hold? Yeah, I don't know what that means. He. <laughs> well, dogs. Well, frayed means they're a little threadbare right in here, usually around the thighs, but it could be anywhere because they're all different. He. You know, they're all. Everyone is unique. And then, so they're threadbare, or, or they actually have holes. Now, when you actually have holes, they're usually in the knees, but they can be anywhere up and down the way, because remember, each one is unique. And I'm thinking, okay, wait. So you want me to pay you for a pair of jeans that are threadbare and have holes in them, when the reason I'm in here is because my jeans back home are threadbare and have holes in them. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. So you know what? Never mind. My jeans are fine. I'll just keep my jeans. If you just sell me a couple of T-shirts, I'm out of here. No problem. Did you want crew neck or did you want round neck? Did you want scoop neck? I didn't know men wore scoop neck, but apparently they do. Did you want that? Did you need that in lycra or did you need that in cotton? I just left. You know. It was not a fruitful day. got in my car, drove down to the store and there, went in the store, bought a pair of blue jeans, two T-shirts, a watermelon and windshield wipers. And there, that's my day. You know. All because someone is trying to convince us that you have to have this. This is where you need to be. Re- this is your identity. You're defined by this. You're defined by material things that you collect along the way. Did you know there's a statistic that says three-fourths of the garages in America do not hold a car? You know why? We have too much junk. Stuff that just piles up. And it's in the house until someone gets tired of it, and then it moves its way to the garage and the car becomes homeless. Until somebody gets tired of seeing that and wants it changed. And so they say, this has to go. And so you go out and rent a unit Somewhere, $27 billion industry in America, by the way. You go out and rent the unit take all the time and effort it takes to lug everything that is superfluous to your life and haul it off and store it in that unit, and it stays there until you get tired of paying for it. And after you get tired of paying for that, then you call 1-800-JUNK and they come to the place and for a substantial fee, take everything out of that and load it up and tape it to the dump, a dump that you continue to pay for with your taxes for the rest of your life. Does that make sense? That's what happens when we sink our root in accumulations. Hey, that's not the answer. It's not how much you have. E.E. E. Cummings writes this. There's a struggle, a fight, to be nobody but yourself in a world that wants you to look like everybody else. There is a fight, a struggle, just to be yourself in a world that tells you you need to look like everybody else. You need to be just like everyone else. When Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he's saying, friends, you can't afford that. God's depending on you. Not only is your thriving life depending on this, you don't want to get caught going through the motions because this world needs you. This isn't just about you. Ephesus needs you. Short Pump needs you. Richmond needs you. Watch where you are rooted There are all kinds of things that are going on. Saying affluence is the answer. Or maybe they're saying accumulation of material things is the answer. Or the Ephesians would say it's the perfect body. That's what it takes. It's the perfect body. In Ephesus, at the Temple of Artemis, and in all of the museums and all of the art places, there are these perfect formed human beings. And the high point of life in Ephesus would be the Olympian, sculpted to the nth degree, bronzed by the Peloponnesian sun, not an ounce of superfluous fat, all right there in this one physical being. And if you didn't measure up to this, there's something wrong with you, and you live with shame. You live with disappointment. You live with hurt. You live with neglect. And some of you may have experienced that. What a place to put roots. What a horrible place to put roots. And the saddest thing is that in that culture, in the Ephesian culture, they had a practice having to do with the human body. When a baby was born, you had eight days before you would even give that baby a name because you needed to decide if you wanted to keep the baby or not. For those eight days, you looked at the body to see if there was anything wrong, if there was a a malformation, something that just wasn't right. The child didn't look like you or there was some form of deformity. If that happened in that culture, that parent could go outside of the city, go up the hill, a little mountaintop, take the baby, place the baby there and leave it. Leave it. Infant exposure, it was called. In a culture so high, so mighty, so powerful. That was a practice because they were rooted in the physical. Now, there's other news that comes out of that. If you happen to be someone who wanted a child and couldn't have a child, you could go up the mountain and look at this display and find one and say, that one. I want that one take that child home you could raise that child and when it got to the place that the child could talk could speak then you could adopt the child because it would be the case where the father would need to go to a judge not the mother the father would need to go to a judge and say hey we want to adopt this kid we've raised this kid we want to adopt this kid and the kid needs to be able to say yeah I want to be a part of this family then the adoption is formal that's the way life worked in Ephesus but I want to tell you that in the Ephesian culture Much of our world wouldn't exist. At our church, we're hosts with the Tim Tebow Foundation of Night to Shine. You know anything about that? That's a prom for special needs folks. They don't have proms of any other kind, but it is a night when they get to dress up. We even furnish them with dressing gowns and tuxedos and all those kinds of things. We give those to them. You should be with them when they come in shopping for those things. That is most fun you could ever imagine. To have someone put on a dress and come out and say, I look so pretty. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But you know what? And For every 100 guests that we have, special needs guests that we have at that prom, it takes 300 people, 300 volunteers to make that prom work. But I can tell you, it's my favorite night of the year. I absolutely love it. It's on the Friday night before Valentine's Day every year. And they take a room like this, and it is just body to body, and they're dancing their hearts out. It's just absolutely wonderful. That would not happen in the Ephesian culture. Not a single one of those would be around. Joy would be missing. Why? Because they're rooted in the wrong place. Paul says, you know, guys, you need to be rooted in the love of Christ. That's your home. That's what matters. That's where you get your identity, not in these other things so with all of that background Paul writes to the church and says this and this this just thrilled the heart of the church that heard it for it says he chose he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight holy and blameless means perfect without flaw he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To be the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This is what he said. In love, God chose you. God chose you. God went up the hill for you. And God looked at you and said, I want that one. I want this one to be a a part of me. I want this one to be a part of my family. And he takes you and he brings you in and he holds you tight and he whispers in your ear that he loves you and he wants you to know that. And he wants so much for you to be able to say, I want you back. I want to be a part of your family. I want to experience that love. I want to live that love. I want my roots to be here. I want my roots to be in you. This is what I want to be. This I want to be my identity. God says, I want you. And that's great news, by the way, for the church at Ephesus. These people are the outsiders. These are the not-so-well-to-do in the city. And they are the ones that have been shoved aside. They are the ones that have been put on the social hill, if you would. They are the ones who have been cast out. And Paul is saying to them, no, 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 friends, when you're looking When you're looking for something, don't look at Ephesus. Look at the love of Christ. That's your identity. That never changes. It never shakes. It doesn't age. It doesn't shift with every wind that comes along. And this is the only place that will stand the test of time. This is the only place that will handle the storms that you and I may very well be going through today. This is the only place where you can sustain your life in the midst of drought that others simply cannot do. You need This and they need you. This is your identity. Do you know what your identity is? Do you know where your identity is grounded? If you feel like your identity is blowing in the wind like a Texas tumbleweed, if you feel that, did you know that you can be grounded in the right place? Did you know that there is a God who's reached out for you and has said, I want you and I just simply want you to want me back? You can do that and all of life shifts. All of life changes. Three key words I want to give you before we go anywhere this morning. This is how it can happen. Number one, rest in his promises. Just rest. Rest in his promises. Listen to this again. In Ephesians, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep Is the love of Christ. If you struggle understanding how much God loves you, I want you to listen to this. This comes out of Zephaniah. This is a beautiful verse. Listen to this. This is you. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And get this. He will rejoice over you with singing. God sings over you. God loves you so much, he sings over you. He runs up the hill, he finds you, he embraces you, and it sends such joy into his heart that God himself sings over you. That's how much you are loved. That's how much you are loved. Rest in those promises. You are truly loved. The second word is Resist. Oh, all kinds of things call in saying, this is where you need to be rooted. If you want to be somebody, you need to be look like this. You need to be a part of that. You need to act this way. You need to do certain things. Listen, resist. You can resist. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up against it. In other words, you can do this. You can resist the temptations and the calls to send your taproot in other directions. You can do this. Resist with all the strength that is yours. And then rest. The third word, rest. Rest, resist. And now what do we do? Well, we get down to this. We have to reflect. Listen to the scripture. So God created man in his own image. In his image, he created them Male and female, he created them. So you're in God's image, created in God's image. He sees himself in you at the top of the mountain. Here's the way it worked. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth and all these other things, and he looked at them, it says, every day, and says, that's good. That's good. The sixth day, he created humanity. And when he created mankind and, and saw the relationship that was building between mankind and the other created orders, Then he looked at that on the sixth day and said, now that's very good. So it was good, and this is very good. And then, because we're humans, we chose to send our tap roots in other directions, and we went looking for things that send us in the wrong directions. And all of a sudden, sin invades a life, and we step out of bounds, and the relationship with God is broken. The one who loves us so much, the relationship is broken, and he wants us back. And so he sends his son up a hill for you. And for you, and for you, and for you, and for me. He sends his son up a hill, and there, suspended between heaven and earth, when they were taunting him, and they were teasing him, and they were mocking him, saying, Come down from there and show us your power. And instead, he says, You know, I'm staying right here. You know why? I love you. I love you, and I came up this hill for you. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free, and he stayed right there, because he loves. And for that reason, God can come to the hill and point you out and say, I want you, and take you and hold you tight and say, not only are you mine, but you are my masterpiece. Creation was good. Humanity, very good. But in Christ, you are my masterpiece. My favorite verse in all of Scripture right there in Ephesians 2 10 you Paul says we but he's talking about you you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for you to do if you're going to be light of the world if you're going to be salt of the earth he built that into you and he prepared things for you to do to make that happen but it starts with the fact that you are God's masterpiece You are God's work, handiwork. Look at the person to your right, wherever you are. Look at the person to your right. That is God's masterpiece. That is God's work, handiwork. Look to the person to your left. That is the piece of work, so never mind that. (laughs) That is God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. He took you and he put you together in Christ, it says. And he did it for a reason. Out of love, absolutely. Because he wants you to be a part of his family, absolutely. But he has things for you to do. He created you to do those things. And he put those together. And while he's building you over here in Christ, he's over here making these things for you to do. And then as a father, he backs off and he sees you connect with those things. And it just thrills his heart and he continues singing over you. That's a God who loves you. He chose you. He wants you. He cares that much for you. He went up the hill for you. Jesus gathered his disciples together. And he said, Friends, I'm going up a hill for you. You may not understand it today, but the day will come. And he taught them lessons, he prayed with them. And in the prayers of John 16 and 17, He prayed for himself, and he prayed for those disciples. And did you know he prayed for you? Then when he gathered them together, he said, I want you to know this. This my body, I came up the hill to shed for you. This is my body which is broken for you because I love you and I want you. He broke it, blessed it. Father God, your blessings on this bread we pray and all who partake that you would help us reflect on the love in which we can be grounded that gives us purpose and meaning in life. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. And having blessed it, he gave it to his disciples. Take eat. And this do in remembrance of me. And in the very same way, on that same occasion, he took the cup and blessed it. Lord God, your blessings on this cup and all who partake this day, here in this place and in churches all over the world. Help us to remember to send our roots in the place that really matters Grounded in your holy love Represented by this cup In the name of Christ we pray Amen Paul would say This is Christ's blood shed for the remission of sin Christ would say take this Drink this And do this in remembrance of me They left that place singing They didn't understand all about it But you know what They were rooted in the right place And because of that The church exists today. Remember, he loves you. And now may the grace and the peace and the love of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus abide with us all. Both now and forevermore. Amen. Love God. Love others. Make disciples. Serve the world. Thank you for your time this morning.